You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. We're beginning a series today through the month of September that's entitled Understanding God's Will. And today's series is just the first one, part one. I'm going to preach to you from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And the first sermon is entitled, It's All About to Change. It's All About to Change. Do you personally believe that the world is currently living in the end times as described by prophecies in the Bible? Oh, I didn't expect an actual verbal answer. <laughs> it was much more rhetorical. But it actually proves my point. And in case you didn't get to hear the question, let me repeat it one more time. Do you personally believe that the world is currently living in the end times as described by prophecies in the Bible? Seems like believe so. What I found fascinating was according to a 2013 Barna Research Group survey, a startling 41% of U.S. adults, that does not mean just Christians, that does not mean Catholics, Protestants, conservative Protestants, or evangelicals, that means 41% of the population thinks that we're living in the end times. Four in ten Americans believe they are living in the end times. Now, any time you talk about the end time from the pulpit, the question that begins to roll and mull about in the minds of people is, Josh, tell us when. Tell us when. And, and so you don't feel bad about yourself. I find it so funny or ironic in Scripture. If you're to go to turn in Acts chapter 1, don't do this, but Acts chapter 1, and you look at the church. This is the early church, the earliest part, Acts 1. Jesus literally has about got one foot off the ground to ascend back into heaven. And you know what the disciples ask him? Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? They basically said this, hey, when are you coming back? He's like, I'm not even gone yet. So it's always been a question for the church. But can I submit to you something? I know we want to know when God will destroy the world, when God will judge every person that's ever lived, righteously or unrighteously. But biblically, the question is not to ask when. Our Lord actually said, I don't know the time. That's submitted to the Father's knowledge. The Father tells me when to go get the church. Biblically, the question is this. If we believe, and many of us do, believe we're living in the end times, Jesus can come back at any moment. The question is this. What sort of people should we be? What sort of people should we be if this is the end? And this is very much like the question, what is God's will for my life? What does God want from me? What does God want me to be? In today's Bible passage, scoffers were coming and asserting Jesus, God's only Son, He was not coming back to judge the world. 
the scoffers assumed that too much time had passed. Now remember, this is in the first century. We're essentially saying 40 to 60 years since Jesus' first advent, since he walked the earth, had passed. And they said, it's been too long, Jesus isn't coming back. And they assumed that God must be indecisive and that he must have changed his mind. God had, in effect, called off Judgment Day. No one would be held accountable for how they lived. And Peter writes just these little verses to challenge the scoffer's thinking. And he reveals to us in this passage what sort of people... God wants you and me to be as we're living in the end times. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He goes this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. And here's the fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Now please, that's not meant to be read 1,000 years equals one day. The Greek term is like a simile. It's like and as. He's just given us a, a poetic comparison. A thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years to God. And here's what he's trying to get at in this verse. If we compare the time of life, how old you are, with eternity... That is unending days, unending years. We will find no difference between long and short. Whether you live a short life or a long life, it's immaterial when it comes to comparing it to eternity. i never forget, I was in a class at Biola University, and it was a class on evil and suffering. And Dr. Clay Jones was making an illustration. Now, this is a math illustration. I'll go ahead and confess to you. I am not a math person. I know there's even a math teacher here today, so you can correct me. But he made this illustration. He says, let's take one divided by two, right? That equals what? One half or 50%, all right? Now, as you increase the divisor, the number two to four, one divided by four becomes what? A quarter, he says, let me tell you something interesting in math. He says, if you take the number one and you define, divide it by infinity, now it's more of a concept in math, a construct, but an endless set of numbers, you know what, the, what it equals? Nothing. Zero. Now here's what's more fascinating. Say instead of dividing one by infinity, you divide, it, you divide a trillion by infinity. Guess what it equals? Nothing. Nothing. Now catch this. Now this is how it is with God. So say God tarries one year compared to his eternal life. How long is that? Nothing. If he tarries a trillion years, right? He waits for a trillion years to come back. How long has that been for God? Nothing. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 90 verse 4. He says, for in your sight... He's talking about God's sight. A thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. It's like when we try to barely hold on to the weekend. Monday's coming. God's like, oh, you, a thousand years? That's, a, that's nothing. That's like sleeping through the night for God. 
Here's what I want you to write down to help us understand what sort of people we should be because we have to understand who God is so that we can understand who we are or ought to be. But point number one is God has time. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not work on the same timetable you and I work on. And that means two things for different types of people because there's only two people according to the Bible. There are rebellious people and repentant people. We're all sinners. The question is, are we going to continue to rebel against God and not recognize our sin, or are we going to become repentant and recognize our sin, turn from it, and trust Jesus to forgive us of our sin? That's the only two types of people there are according to the Bible. No black, white, female, male, rich or poor. Are you in Christ or out of Christ? The question though, think about this. The rebellious, if God possesses time, if God has all the time in the world, the rebellious, those who've not repent, cannot assume that they will escape judgment day because it's been delayed. You can't think that. Because for God, it's been no time at all. There's not been a delay. And here's the other thing, for the repentant, some of you have come in today, your lives, you're discouraged, things are not going the way you should, and here's the beautiful thing, we always have the hope of Jesus' return when he makes all things new. He wipes away death, pain, tears, anxiety, he wipes away it all, and he restores us to where we should be. Some of us are longing for that day, and what this verse gives us, it tells us, persevere, don't give up, it's not the end. When Jesus is ready, he'll come back for us. But it's been no time for him. God has all the time in the world. He possesses time. Church, remember, he created time. Time did not even exist before he spoke it into existence. He owns time. He is sovereign over it. He can rule and do whatever he wants with it. God has time. So what does that mean for you and I? Let's look at verse 9, the next verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He sets the record straight. The Lord does not delay His promise. He's not being lazy. <laughs> As some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The second thing I want you to write down in your notes is this, what we learn about God, and this will affect how, what kind of life we ought to live. Number two, God gives Tom. Remember, he has it, he possesses it, and now he shows in this verse, I'm giving some Tom. God is long-suffering. I want you to think about the most patient, long-suffering person you know. They don't compare to God. God can put up with a lot. And so he forbears us in our sin. And why does he forbear us in our sin? So that we can have additional opportunities of grace, opportunities of repentance, opportunities to come to faith in Jesus Christ and come to salvation. Church, can I give you a harsh biblical truth? But this is the fact. According to the Bible, we are all sinners, and all of us should have been judged and sent to hell last night in our sleep. So the question becomes, if that's reality, why are you here? Why am I here? 
Why did God let us get up this morning and go to church to hear a message about Jesus? Listen to what Romans 2, 4 through 5 says. Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Catch what he's saying here. The fact that he lets us live another day is because of his gracious kindness towards us. He loves us. He is merciful. He is patient. He does not want anyone to perish. He does not want to judge anyone. He does not want to send anyone to hell. And so he lets you get up and breathe and live one more day in hopes that you'll turn around and you'll come face to face with God, your maker, repent of your sins, and trust Jesus as your Savior. In perfect love, Jesus Christ, God's own Son, he came to this earth, lived a sinless life, something that we can never do for ourselves, and then he bled and died on an old rugged cross for our sins. And praise God, the story doesn't end there. To prove that he actually dealt with our sins and to bring us back into relationship with God, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we preach Jesus to you. He is the only way to escape the wrath to come. But I have a question for you. If we remain rebellious, unrepentant, we leave Jesus unwanted in our lives. Do you really think that God will not vindicate His Son? You really mean that God in His perfect love does all that for us and God will just brush it aside because we brushed it aside. I need you to know this. Judgment Day, we'll honor God with His due. Everyone will recognize it. On Judgment Day, Jesus will rule and reign over the repentant and the rebellious. In fact, the good grace of it is the repentant actually get to rule and reign with him. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 says. When he, speaking of God, takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God, and listen to this next line, and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus he says, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from His glorious strength. Can I tell you what this is all about? There are many sins that we've all committed. All of us are sinners. But the one sin that sends us to judgment and wrath and hell is that we disobey the gospel of Jesus. When you have the opportunity in God's kindness to hear the gospel that Jesus bled and died and rose again, he sits at the right hand of God the Father, ready to hear your thoughts and whispers, ready for you to turn to him and embrace him. When we neglect that opportunity, there's no other place for us but for eternal destruction. I need to be that clear with you. There are two kinds of people and only two, the rebellious and the repentant. The rebellious consider God's delay, this 
postponement, so to speak, as a sign of God's approval on their lives. They think, well, God, we, we hear stupid things like this. God, if you're real, strike me with lightning. No. God, in his goodness, goes, I don't want to do that. I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. So God's stamp of approval has nothing to do with the longevity of our life or how long he's waiting. That's not the point. Instead, Jesus is coming back to keep us accountable and we can't continue to impose our will on our lives or other people and not think we won't have eternal consequences for it. But the repentant wholeheartedly agree, and some of you will agree with this, if you've repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as our Savior, what Peter quotes Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be brought home. He does not want to condemn us at all. That's the point. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Notice this. But the day. When you see, when it, in your Bibles generally, when you see the day or the day of the Lord, it's talking about judgment day. The destruction of the world. When every person who's ever lived stands before God and gives an account of their life. Notice this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In a moment. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it, that's you and I, the works, the things we have done, it will be disclosed or revealed. It will be made public. Here's number three. Write this down in your notes. God takes Tom. God takes time. Now, I don't mean that God's wasting time. He's taking his time. I mean that the end of time will come like a thief. Ladies and gentlemen, if you knew when a thief was going to come and rob your house, you'd be on your front porch with your gun racked, right? Not today, thief. You picked the wrong day. But here's the point. I find this amazing. Y'all, I'm a planner. I like to make plans. I've made plans to finish my dissertation. It's coming along. I've made plans to make a vacation after my dissertation. <laughs> we all make plans. We all set dates on our calendar. And in the meantime, as we await that date, right, what do we do? We prepare. We, we budget. We put things aside. We go and buy things. We get, we get ready for that day. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what you have to understand when we talk about God takes time. God has set the date for his return. You don't get to set that date. Your only prerogative is what? Be prepared. He can come today. He can come before I finish this sentence. He could come a trillion years from now. It's the truth. The, the, the thing that should have a holy fear about is the fact of we don't know, so we have to be prepared now. I want you to think about this. Let's do just a little bit of a thought experiment. If you're going to go home this afternoon, you're going to drive home, and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt someone prophesied to you and told you, brother, with 100% certainty, your tire is going to blow out when you pull out of the parking lot. 
Now, I don't know about you, but especially me being mechanically inept as I am, I'd get all the deacons together, and we'd go to my car, and we'd go ahead and change that tire when I'm not. Why would I even risk it? We would do it before we ever left the parking lot. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. I can say with absolute certainty, based on the authority of God's word, Jesus is coming back. I cannot tell you when. I don't know if it's in an hour or centuries from now. But are you really going to pull out of the parking lot unchanged? When today is the day of salvation. Today, this moment, you mean to tell me eternity has come to this point where me and you would be gathered today and you're going to be confronted with the gospel and today you've got to make a decision. Yeah, that's it. That's what the church has been doing for centuries, thousands, millennia. We've been preaching Jesus to a lost and dying world. And please don't think, we've got it all together. We are in the same boat. Only Jesus. So what should we do? Jesus put it so simple in John chapter 6, verse 40. He says this, For this is the will of my Father. You want to know God's will for your life? Jesus is about to tell it explicitly. Part one of God's will for your life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son, now they actually got to see Him when He's talking. You're hearing from Him today. You're hearing the Jesus of the Gospels. Whoever sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. There's no condemnation, there's no judgment or wrath that awaits the person who will repent of their sins and believe in Jesus as their Savior. That is the will of God. So write this down there. So what? God's will is for you to repent. That is God's will. What kind of people should we be? A repentant people. To repent. And why is that? Does God just want to impose His will on us? No, because God is good and right. Everything He says is necessary. It is not random. He desires that you be saved. And salvation, while available to all, is conditioned upon repentance and faith in Jesus alone. And what does it mean to repent? That's a hard word. We don't use the word repent a lot in our vernacular today. But you can put this down. To repent is turn from sinning and trust and serve Jesus. Turn from sinning and trust and serve Jesus. Now please catch this. I think when we think of sinning, we think of just the most horrific things you can think about in the Bible. You know what else sinning also involves? I mean, if you look at Jesus' teaching, it includes self-righteousness. It means, oh, I've got my life together. There's no way God would judge me and have wrath on me. Ladies and gentlemen, you've deceived yourself. No one is righteous. No, not one. You may be better than the next guy, but the question is this. Are you better than the Holy Son of God? None of us are. You're playing the wrong comparison game. But a simple sin, you understand an angry word? Jesus says if you call someone an idiot, you deserve hellfire. Ladies and gentlemen, that should be everybody in here. If you've ever had a lustful look 
at someone, we deserve hellfire. If you've never not told the whole truth, we deserve hellfire. That's what a sin is. And I wanted you to see this turn from sinning. I do not want to tell you that if you accept Christ, you'll be perfect. That is not the way this works. Every day, we're going to keep turning from sin. Keep turning from sin. And keep turning from sin. You'll turn from sin until Jesus returns. But that's the posture. That's the stance that he wants from every single one of us. Sin, I'm running from it as best as I can. And I'm clinging and trusting Jesus. That's all he wants. Just cling and trust Jesus him alone. Deplore your sins. Implore and ask for God's mercy and you'll find redemption in the blood of Jesus. The scripture tells us that if any man or woman comes to Jesus truly repentant and desires to be saved, he or she will never be cast out. You won't be. You will always be accepted and embraced with open arms. When will God destroy the world? How many slow passing centuries? How many eras must pass? I can't say for sure. But one thing I do know. One day, the elements will melt with fervent heat. One day, every star will disappear. One day, Jesus will come speeding through the sky. One day, the dead in Christ will rise and meet Him in the air. One day, the trumpet of the Lord will sound and Tom will be no more. Then the funeral sermon of the universe will be delivered. When the rebellious and the repentant ranks of humanity lift their eyes to Jesus and cry, He is Lord. That's how the universe ends. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. The question is, if we're repentant now and claim Him as Lord in this life, we're blessed throughout eternity. If you wait till the end of time to come to that conclusion, you'll be condemned. I, with Paul, in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, I say this, working together with God, we appeal to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, for He says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.